This podcast is proud to be part of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberry with no E's dot com. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire, and you're listening to Transpersonal Radio with Angela Lynn Gibson. Remember, your thoughts upload your reality. Think wisely and always prepare to ignite. Welcome. Welcome to Transpersonal Radio. Transpersonalradio.com. Real talk for real life. Inspiring podcasts. Exploring personal empowerment. empowerment. And transformation. Through parapsychology, spirituality, and how your thoughts Up. upload your reality. And now your host, Angela. Angela L. Gibson. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash transpersonal radio. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. My name is Angela L. Gibson, and I am the podcaster for Transpersonal Radio. This morning, I am speaking with Angela Yendez. She is on the patient advisory board for Dysautonomia International. Angela is going to be speaking with me today on POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is underneath the umbrella of dysautonomia. Angela, um, can you tell me a little bit about the Dysautonomia International and what they do? Dysautonomia International is a nonprofit organization that is run by uh, people who have dysautonomia. Um, the president of the organization, as well as all of the members, have some form of dysautonomia, whether it be POTS or orthostatic intolerance. And there's, of course, you know, many different disorders that fall under that umbrella. So we actually raise money for research and awareness. What, what is your official diagnosis, Angela? Um, my official diagnosis is POTS. And when did you first start exhibiting symptoms of POTS? Um, I was diagnosed in 2007, but um, prior to that, I had been experiencing symptoms probably a good four years prior to my diagnosis. Okay. Um, so, what kind of symptoms were you dealing with and how often was this happening? The types of symptoms that I experienced, dizziness, fatigue, tachycardia, high, which is high heart rate, fainting, nausea, tremors, headache, Doesn't to name a few. There are many, many more on the list, yes. but um, <laughs> I started having those early on and of course that's that it was, you know, many, many things before I discovered that it was POTS. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but when I was going through the course of my experience um, over my lifetime, I've actually had, I've actually had dysautonomia my entire life, but no one knew what it was. And I was continuously misdiagnosed, uh, everything from chronic fatigue syndrome to, well, when I was a child, they said, oh, she's, she has you know, vasovagal syncope, she has syncope, she'll outgrow it when she grow. you know, as she gets older, she'll stop fainting, she'll just grow out of it. Another one was, uh, as I said, chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, even conversion disorder, which is uh, basically saying it's all in your head and it's a psychosomatic, you know, it's just, you're just making it up, and anxiety, and I'm wondering if you've experienced anything like that. 
Yes, I have. The first cardiologist that I saw because I was having tachycardia basically diagnosed me with anxiety and set me out the door with anxiety medication. And of course, I knew at the time that that was ludicrous. That was not what was wrong with me. He couldn't explain the fainting and all the other symptoms that I had that I I fired him and actually ended up going to a different cardiologist. You know, I'm glad that you said that, Angela, because so many, you know, that is really critical. So many people think, well, this, this is physician, you know, he's a doctor, so therefore he must know everything there is to know. And for a person to be in a place of empowerment where they can say, I fired my doctor because he was not really listening to me or he was not really meeting my needs and I felt like I needed to find another one. Yes, people, please. If you are ever in a position where you feel you are not being listened to or not being taken seriously and you know there's something going on, feel free to fire your doctor and find another one. That's so important. Thank you for mentioning that. When you first started having your symptoms and you first started exhibiting this situation, what are the biggest adjustments that you've had to make in your life as a result of this condition? Oh, boy. Uh, There are many. But I would say learning the adjustment of learning what my body could now do and what it could what it can do and what it cannot do meaning that there are lots of things that trigger POTS as you well know and I had to find a way to not trigger my symptoms which was probably the biggest challenge that I had and figuring my body out and what worked for me may not work for other people so Absolutely. It was a process. Yeah. <laughs> what are your triggers, if you don't mind my asking, and how has this affected your life? My triggers um, tend to be pretty common with a lot of other people's triggers, but personally, I have issues with the heat. Mm-hmm. If I go outside in the heat, I can tend to get the, you know, the fast heart rate and dizziness. Definitely, lack of sleep and stress will increase my symptoms quite a bit. And I find that if I'm dehydrated, that's that's a sure, you know, definitely going to have symptoms if I'm dehydrated. Those are a lot of my major ones, but sometimes with this disorder, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And you can do everything right and still end up having a very bad day and not figuring out why you had a bad day. So... You know, you just do your best. Interestingly enough, I just had that exact experience yesterday morning. (laughs) I was doing really well. Things, you know, I was feeling fine. And I had been paying attention to hydration. I'd been paying attention to, you know, all the little things that I have to pay attention to. And for whatever reason, yesterday morning, my body just decided today's a good day to have an episode. (laughs) So, so yes, I still haven't figured out that one exactly. But luckily, it was short-lived. What do you find that people assume about you that, you know, because the thing with dysautonomia or POTS uh, or even hemiplegic migraines for people who deal with that, it's basically an invisible disorder, meaning people will look at you and not necessarily realize there's anything going on. So what do people assume about you uh, when they find out that you have this disorder? Well, interesting that you mentioned this because in the beginning when I was first, well, before I was diagnosed, actually, I was called a hypochondriac. I was even shunned by my family to a certain extent that they didn't understand what was going on with me because, like you said, you do look perfectly healthy. And it took quite, uh, you know, an extensive um, time frame going to doctors and going to the hospital via ambulance every month and having major issues before they could really see that, yes, there is something wrong. 
And I find that when I tell people what I have, they look at me like, huh, what's that? <laughs> That's the first thing out of their mouth. Right. They've never heard of it. And so then I find myself explaining and educating on the disorder and they actually end up finding it very fascinating and, and end up passing it on, which is quite fascinating. I, I, I really enjoy that. Here's a great question for you, and this is something that I run into. Whenever you are telling someone about your condition, POTS, posture orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, for the first time, it's such a mouthful. How do you explain this to someone in a concise manner, in layman's terms, that they kind of get what's going on, but their eyes don't glaze over? You know, it's, it's really hard to kind of concisely describe. So how do you handle that? Boy, it's, and you know, you're right. It is very hard to, <laughs> to explain, explain it. And even when I've explained it, sometimes people still don't get it. But I try to be as simple as possible. And I say, well, basically... If they know anything about the autonomic nervous system that controls your breathing, your heart rate, everything you can't, don't have to think about, this is the, the part of the brain where this disorder interrupts, you know, pretty much all those symptoms. And it's not a heart condition. It's not a, a brain condition. It's not a lung condition. It's it's a autonomic condition. So, you know, you're going to have issues with many different parts of the body. And I try to explain it that... We, you don't have any control over it. I mean, there's nothing that you can do when you're like, kind of like having a seizure. When you're in it, you're in it, and your body's going to do what it's going to do, and you're just kind of along for the ride, Absolutely. and you do your best. Just try to control the symptoms, and that's all you can do because at this point in time, there is no cure. Hopefully, someday there will be. So it's I kind of try to lay it out very simple terms. Wonderful. Perfect. Perfect. What has your experience with the medical community been like, both positive and negative? We talked a little bit about that, but kind of what your journey has been. Um, in the beginning, um, when I was, well, before I was diagnosed, nobody knew what was wrong with me, and I kept going into the emergency room because of um, fainting issues. I was actually, people, well, doctors accused me of doing drugs, <laughs> even though my, yes. my blood came out clean. Are you on crack? Are you, you know, <laughs> I literally had a doctor ask me that one time. I couldn't believe it. Been there. <laughs> um, and so it was kind of frustrating and demoralizing. And I felt very alone in, in a way because I, I didn't know how to tell people, no, you don't understand. There's really something wrong with me, even though all my tests came back negative. Yes. <laughs> all my blood work was fine. And Every, I looked like the perfect picture of health. I, I knew I was sick. So I just stuck to my guns. I forced the issue. I went to whoever would listen to me, doctors, and finally, thank God, I found a cardiologist that diagnosed me properly with a tilt table test and finally had a diagnosis. And from there, things really turned around when I finally knew what was wrong with me. And I, I had something to go in and say, look, this is for real I'm not making it up yes, I'm not crazy I'm not making it up it's not just stress <laughs> yes yes do you uh, use any pharmacological interventions for your condition I do I take um, a beta blocker which is a tenolol and I take 25 milligrams a day to control my my blood pressure and my heart rate wonderful and, and that's pretty much it for now <laughs> okay great so you don't use any alternative medicine or anything like that 
No. Do you ever do any um, preventive methods? Like um, for me, I have to take three to five grams of salt per day, um, which is insane for most people, right? Because the general message out there to the public these days is, you know, low sodium, no sodium. You have, you know, watch your salt intake. Don't use salt. Um, people with our condition um, are actually told quite the opposite, that we need a higher dosage of salt. So do you do anything like that? I pretty much eat a high salt diet anyway. I, sh- I shouldn't, but well, <laughs> we should, but right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird. But I, I don't actually go out of my way to eat salt tablets or anything unless I'm actually exercising and really long, I'm doing a really long run in the heat. Got it. But on a daily basis, I will just, you know, eat, drink Gatorade, eat salty yes. food, the Wonderful. best of my ability, you know. Now, I want to talk to you about something else that you just brought up, which is really interesting. You said when you go for a run, and I know a lot of people out there that are going to be listening to this podcast are all uh, in different stages of uh, dysautonomia with either POTS or, again, the hemiplegic migraines, which kind of is, is comorbid with dysautonomia. Um, now, some people who have this condition are actually bedbound. Uh, that happened to me for a while. I went from basically being able to run uh, five miles three to four times a week to, you know, I was, I was extremely fit. I was extremely active. I was um, constantly on the go. I had something happening. My social calendar was full. And um, when it hit me again, um, because as you know, this condition does a recurrence remission, recurrence remission. When it hit me again hard in 2010, boy, I just found myself not even being able to get out of bed. I was lucky to be able to do anything. Now you're at the point where you can actually uh, run. So that's, uh, I think, encouraging for people uh, who are listening that there is hope, there is light, there is a way that, that one can get through this. Can you share a little bit about your experience with that? Yes, I started off where, of course, I was fainting all the time in the beginning. And I finally, when I was able to get on the beta blocker, which really helped tremendously for me personally, helped slow my heart rate and my blood pressure, lowered my blood pressure, I was able to go on walks. And I would walk two or three times a week very slowly, and then I would have to sit down every, you know, a few feet because I was very dizzy. This took a while. This was a process that took over time to where I could eventually go on longer walks, and then I would move up to a slow jog. And then from a slow jog, I went to a run. And this was a process that took about a year for me to be able to actually come back to my baseline of exercise. I was able to actually run a full marathon by the end of that year. Wow. <laughs> which is really unusual, I know, for people with pot. Wow, that is amazing. And, and then just recently, I raised money for Dysautonomy International and completed my first 50-mile uh, trail run in the um, Angeles National Forest near L.A. Wow, congratulations. That's amazing. So I was going to ask you, what would others be surprised to know about you? And I think you just answered that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What's one thing that you would like others to know about this situation or about you in particular? About POTS in general or dysautonomia or any of the other disorders, I would like to say that it it is very, pretty much don't give up hope because I know it's so frustrating, especially in the beginning when you're so sick and like you said, bed bound, 
um, you maybe have even lost your job or can't go to school anymore, whatever your situation may be, is that there is always hope and that um, not to give up because you can, some can, with a lot of help with pharmaceuticals and exercise, get back to somewhat of a normal life. And and some people are beyond, can go beyond. So it's it's imperative, I think, just to never give up hope is my message. Wonderful. What has been the most difficult aspect for you to accept about life with this condition? I've had to, I really actually has, has taught me how to be humble and patient. Ah, yes. Because I am not a patient person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm noticing that that's a common thread between uh, all of us as well. We all have seemed to have come from a type A, on the go, you know, just full force and then all of a sudden getting a good smackdown in humility <laughs> yes it, yeah really really um it, it has taught me to just say okay let, and you know time to go with the flow because there's really not a whole lot you can do about <laughs> certain things you know? exactly so what's something that has been really hard for you to give up or something that you miss doing because of this disorder now i don't know if that's even applicable to you with running marathons but you know <laughs> i'll ask anyway well, in the beginning, it, I was, I'll be honest, I was terrified in the beginning. I thought, oh my gosh, am I, because I was a marathon runner prior to my diagnosis. So I went from being a full-on marathon runner all the time down to not being able to function. So I was horrified that I thought that maybe I would never be able to do that again. And I, that's when I just became so determined. I didn't care if i fainted 10 times when I was walking. I was going to do it no matter what because I wanted to at least try to get back to where I was. And I was very lucky and you know exceeded my expectations, you know. But I I don't know. I just I'm just grateful and I'm I'm happy to be where I am and I thank, you know, my lucky stars every day that I am where I am. And I'm glad that I just I pursued the doctors and pursued my exercise and did everything that I could because that's why I say you you can, you can it is possible to that's get there wonderful. again. One that's so inspirational and and thank you for sharing that with our listeners because again I know a lot of them are in different stages of this particular disorder and hearing that message is critical when you are in the throes of this and you are wondering, you know, is this my life for the rest of my life and how do I cope and what do I do? And lessons in humility, lessons in patience and, and really learning to listen to your body and how your body works and and uh, learning how to, to cope on a day-to-day basis, really. Yeah, that's pretty much it. What's something that has surprised you about living with your condition? I'm very surprised how quickly you find out who your friends really are. Oh, that's a good one. Yes. Because, you know, the people who I thought would stand by me left and the people that I never in a million years thought would be there were there for me. And so you really quickly find out who (laughs) your friends are. Absolutely. Absolutely. What advice can you give to others with this challenge? Um, And especially, what would you tell someone newly diagnosed? I would tell someone newly diagnosed. First of all, I would want to hold their hand. Yes. (laughs) Because it is so uh, 
frustrating and heartbreaking and scary when you're first diagnosed because you're just your whole world's been flipped upside down yes. and you're just trying to figure out what happened yes <laughs> and I would just say it's gonna be okay hold on you know work you know pursue uh, finding really good doctors in this area if all possible join social groups that are involved with this autonomia or POTS or whatever your issue may be, maybe on Facebook, you know, have a support group, talk to your friends and family, just, just be very open and honest with yourself about what you can do and can't do at that moment and be patient with yourself because, you know, it can get better. Yes. Yes. Wonderful advice. What is one change, at least one, that you would like to see in the medical community regarding your condition? I would like to see definitely more education and more doctors being educated so they can pass it on to their coworkers and so forth. And I'm a nurse, so I was amazed when I would go into the hospital and nobody even knew what this disorder was. POTS, what's that? And I'm talking doctors, I'm talking paramedics, nurses, Nobody knows, and I'm educating them constantly. And that, that makes I, it even more scary, you know, sometimes, because you think these are the people who are supposed to be trained to help me in a crisis and help me with this condition, and, and they don't know what's going on. Exactly, yes. Uh, so I would definitely like to see more education. I agree, and especially uh, especially on the front line as well with, um, like as you mentioned, paramedics, and also with emergency room staff, because a lot of times... Uh, that's where we first present. And so for people to be a little more educated in, in those frontline arenas to help us along the way, I think would be critical. Yes, I agree. So uh, what's something that others say to you about your condition, about POTS or about dysautonomia that really gets under your skin? Oh, <laughs> well, there are a few, but probably, probably the biggest one would be when... I've had people think that I'm faking it or that I'm really not that bad or it's maybe not even so much what is said to me, but how people react to me. I think that bothers me the most and it will be kind of a rolling of the eyes or a shrug or, Oh, just get up. Come on. Quit being lazy. Yes. (laughs) It's very frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it is. It is frustrating because, again, one of the ones for me that I get a lot is, well, you don't look sick. You look fine. Mm-hmm. And it's really difficult to convey. I may look fine right now, but I'm holding on by a thread at the moment. <laughs> yes, exactly. What message would you like to get across to others on the outside who, you know, the, the people who aren't really in this arena, but, you know, your, your co-workers, your, you know, maybe acquaintances, people that you run into on a day-to-day basis, what would you like to say to them to kind of help them get it? Part of that education. Well, this is interesting because I've had to do this before. <laughs> I've actually fainted a couple of times at work, so I've, I've uh, had to... I've had to educate many, many people. So basically what I tell them is, look, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to die from this. This is what happens to me. You know, this is what I look like when I faint. This is what you need to do for me. <laughs> you know? yes. um, 
it's it's not contagious. It's I'm going to be it's it's going to be fine. It, it's very hard for people to watch an episode if they've never seen someone fainting or having issues with POTS because a lot of different things can occur, as you know, yes. when you're having an episode. So they don't know what's wrong with you. They don't know, are you having a seizure? <laughs> are you, I mean, I literally have people freak out thinking yes. that I'm, you know, and I'm like, no, just <laughs> let me explain first, you yes. know. And then they calm down and they, they go, okay, they Okay, just and when they do X, Y, and Z, they give me the fluids. They give me my beta blocker. They give me whatever it is that I need. I'm I'm fine. And so it's it's very interesting how if you prepare people ahead of time. I all my friends who know me know I have this because I want them to know if something happens to me, this is what you do. Yes. My all my coworkers know that I have this. Yes. And so I just try to tell people when I meet them, if this ever happens, just do this. <laughs> right. And and that's so important. It's it's key because it it is scary. It it is it is something for someone on the outside seeing this happen. You're you're absolutely right. It's it's a little intimidating and it's intimidating for the person going through it, but it's also intimidating for the person who's witnessing it. And I think exactly just having a short list that says you know, uh, this is going to pass. This is, and as you mentioned earlier, this is something I have no control over. Once my body decides it's going to go into one of these episodes, I just have to write it out. But uh, these are some things you can do to help me um, get through it, help me be a little more comfortable, whether it is, like you said, you know, um, for me, I take a beta blocker once, or excuse me, I don't take a beta blocker any longer, but I take my calcium channel blocker once a day. But for me, it would be things like make sure you get me some Gatorade, some fluids, all the um, counter maneuvers that you would do. For me, I have to lay down right away, you know, those kinds of things. But just just educating people in your sphere so that they understand what's happening and everyone is on the same page, I think is critical. Uh, absolutely. Um, now, I, I absolutely love that you are part of Dysautonomia International because I'm all about, obviously, one of the main things that, the, that I want to achieve or accomplish with this podcast is being able to get this more out in the forefront so that we can raise awareness for dysautonomia and get this more in the mainstream so that it is out there and people understand what's happening. Because as as rare, and I'm, I'm saying that a little tongue-in-cheek, as rare as this condition is, there are an awful lot of people that have it. And I think that once it really starts becoming more understood across a wider swath of the population, both the medical community and the general public, those numbers are going to be even higher because I still think there are so many people misdiagnosed. So along those lines, and especially with your expertise as being a nurse and on the patient advisory board for Dysautonomia International, what are some suggestions that you have to raise awareness about dysautonomia? That's a good question. Well, I could just tell you what I've done and what I've heard other people are doing to raise awareness through my own experience. Well, there are several nurses that I know also that have this. And through the medical field, you know, we do have an obligation since we're kind of in, in there already to just kind of start start the ball rolling toward, you know, people understanding this disorder in the in the medical community. And I've basically, we hand out flyers to that from Dysautonomy International that actually explain um, the condition. And it's a beautiful flyer 
with lots of pictures and explanations. And we, we basically go out and hand those to doctors' offices, cardiologists, neurologists, people who are going to be dealing with this type, these type of symptoms. Uh, we encourage doctors to just, you know, if they have anyone coming in with these type of symptoms, give them a tilt table test. Just, it's so simple. It's to diagnose POTS in, in many ways and just give them the test, you know, especially if you think it's just anxiety. We're constantly talking to the emergency room doctors. It's, and I'm, I'm amazed. Actually, some of them I found recently do know, uh, you know, about POTS and it blew my mind. That's I great. I was very excited. I was so excited. I'm like, you know this. Great. Progress, progress. And we um, also are making efforts to raise awareness by fundraising and the more fundraising we do, whether it be through, you know, bake sales, the run that I did, raise money. Uh, they had a, a bowling uh, league game or whatever that they raised money, a bunch of money for DI. All that money goes to research in order to basically get it out there more for the doctors who are trying to find out more about the disorder and about what we can do to help us with more medications, more whatever it takes to help either find a cure or to help us, our lives become better with this, with this disorder. So it's, there's a lot going on right now. And since this autonomia international is so new, we haven't, I think we've been out maybe not quite a year yet. We're really progressing fast and having our first conference, Sodonomi International Conference in Washington, D.C., coming up on uh, July 5th, actually. Fantastic. And it's 5th through the 7th, and we have doctors coming from all over the place or experts in the field in Sodonomia. It's going to be really fantastic. So. Excellent, excellent. Now, if people want to get involved, if uh, people want to donate, uh, make donations or get involved in fundraising or contribute in some way to Dysautonomia International, how do they uh, find you? You go to our website. I believe it's uh, www.dysautonomiainternational.org and you would um, go straight to, they have a donate page there. You can go there and donate. You can um, also find out about fundraising opportunities there. It's If you've never been to the website, it's fabulous, and it's really a great place for all kinds of stuff, from getting involved to research to just plain old information about the disorder if you're brand new. Wonderful. So I would, I, I would encourage people to go straight to the website. Perfect. Well, Angela, I thank you so much for joining me today and discussing this with me. Uh, you had some really wonderful points and some really outstanding advice for people, uh, both both people who are newly diagnosed, who are dealing with this, and uh, friends, family, loved ones, public. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. And um, I want to thank all the listeners out there and look forward to following through. I have several more interviews to do along this lines uh, with dysautonomia uh, and also with hemiplegic migraines, which again are, are comorbid with um, dysautonomia. And uh, so this will be a series, continuing a series. And again, Angela, I want to thank you. And um, anything else you have to add before we sign off? I just want to thank you very much for having me, and um, I really feel blessed to be able to um, be here and talk about this. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you very much.
Hey, I want to give a shout out to Steve Schoen, an accomplished professional voice actor and audio producer who created my new intro and outro for Transpersonal Radio. Steve is based out of the Sacramento, California area. If you'd like to hire Steve for voiceover work, you can find him at soundsofmyvoice.com. That's sounds with an S, soundsofmyvoice.com. Steve is also an event entertainer and wedding DJ. If you want to liven up your event with a truly talented and fun personality, check out sacramentoweddingdj.com. You can also find Steve on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash steve.shown. That's S-C-H-O-N. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Trans Transpersonal Radio. If you'd like to suggest a future future topic or be a guest, guest visit transpersonalradio.com. Call the hotline at 619-800-6057 or, or like our page, facebook.com slash transpersonalradio.